listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Let's open up our Bibles to John 15. I'm excited to preach the word today. How many of you were here last week for Pastor Tyler when he spoke? He did an incredible job really breaking us in. It really was powerful. If you, if you didn't listen to it, you really should go back. Wow. He's like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so silly. Um, he did a powerful job breaking us into the abiding life. And I want to continue in that vein today. We really are in a season, as Reagan said, as a community where we feel like God is calling us. How many of you know that from time to time, God will call you to a season of consecration? Where it's like he wants to separate you from all the noise and all the extra things. And he's wanting to pull you in, not to chastise you, not necessarily to discipline you why those things happen, but really to love you. I feel like what God is after in this season is he is, he is removing everything between us and perfect love. Did you hear what I said? People ask, what is God doing in this season? What, like, what, what is God doing on the earth? He is gathering the, the most people he can, the largest number of people, and he's taking them to the deepest level of love. Anybody who, who would be willing to go there, he's saying, will you let me love you the way I've always wanted to love you? And Tyler did such a good job last week sharing with us that, listen, we don't earn God's love. How many of you ever tried to earn God's love? You felt like you had to perform to be in right standing with God. And part of the beauty of last week is we were delivered from that feeling and, and being delivered from feeling like, man, I have to do so that I can receive. And I want to continue in this vein for a few weeks. And why I think it's so important as we're heading into Fire on the Altar weekend is I don't want anybody entering into this time of consecration thinking that we're trying to earn something from God. That if we just try a little harder and we grit our teeth and we white knuckle, then maybe we'll get from God what, what we've been believing for, but that we enter into the invitation to step into corporate intimacy and individual intimacy with the Father. In a way, maybe we've never had it before. Are you alive? And that we would allow God to baptize our hearts with this love and that we would receive it even, even in the midst of all of our dysfunction and our shortcomings, that we would come boldly into the throne room of grace and allow God to, to touch us, maybe for some of us in ways that we haven't been touched in a very, very long time. It's, it's a very unique week in our community Alan Hood came on Wednesday. How many of you are here on Wednesday night? And he spoke on Mary of Bethany. And it's been this reoccurring theme where God has been taking us back to the beginning. For us, the beginning would have been 2018, 2019, where God really formed us as a community around a message, which is why we're called Abide. It wasn't just a trendy name. It was a season where God marked us, where we were, we were searching for who we would be as a community and we tried every other thing and God solidified us on the one thing. It was really the genesis of this community. God has done a lot with this community. We have a prayer room, we have a school, but, but, but the genesis of where God got, got our hearts was will you come and will you abide with me? So I say all that to say like, we don't ever get to graduate from the John 15 message. Say amen. amen. Never. We don't ever get to graduate from this message. We don't want our hearts to grow dull to the message, but we want to ask the Lord as we engage with his word time and time again, that it would strike our hearts and it would baptize us and deliver us to be able to receive all of him and that we could be delivered from all of us. <laughs> I bet if you know, like we have not arrived. 
We have not, like, we, we, we need Jesus. How many of you need Jesus? Ah, I need Jesus. More today than yesterday, and I'll probably need more tomorrow than today. We need Jesus. And so the beauty of, of this passage that we're diving into today is that he is teaching us what it means to abide, to remain, to dwell, to habitate with him. It removes every other secondary thing and it zeroes us in on the primary thing that God is doing in us and through us. Not just in us, he does it in us, but your life, as God does it in you, it should speak a message through you. That, that as you abide in him, as you make him your one thing, as you become the Psalm 132 dwelling place, as you embody the Psalm 27 for life, that it would communicate to a people, what does that person have that I don't? How, how come in the midst of struggle and betrayal and all of the shakings in the earth, how can they remain stable at heart? John 15. That you have built your life on a solid foundation. And you know that you know that you know. This is what I want for you more than anything. There is going to be a day where our Messiah will return. He's going to come back. All the games will be done. There will be no more time to do anything else. And what I want for you more than anything on that day is that you would have a confident heart at his return. That when that moment happens, which we should be crying out for and longing for, that we should not have any inward, oh my gosh, I should have, no, we've been waiting for this moment forever. This is the moment we've been longing for, waiting for, preparing for, training our kids for, aligning our lives around the coming of our bridegroom king. If this is strange language, we've got to get in the vein because Jesus comes back as a bridegroom, as a husband. So if the bridal beloved paradigm is weird to you, he's going to be very offensive to you at his return. Because he will come and he will destroy his enemies and all of those things will happen. But the primary reason he's doing that is to capture your heart. So that you can live in perfect union with him forevermore. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we're stepping into a moment of 21 days where we're, we're believing God is calling us into consecration. Remember, he said, I am sending the rain. Do you remember this? He's sending the rain in a season of drought and of lack, he's saying, I'm sending the rain. I'm dealing with idolatry. I'm rebuilding the altar. I'm sending my fire and I'm sending the rain. And in the midst of that, we should be asking, what should be our response? This should be the question in case you didn't know. What should be our response in the midst, in the midst of what God is doing? Our response should be, may we found ourselves rooted in John 15. So I, I, I wanted to give context for that weekend in November because I feel like it's not a conference. Say, it's not a conference. We've done conferences. This is not a conference. If you come expecting a conference, you're going to be disappointed. I'm going to say, I told you it's not a conference because I'm saying to you now it's not a conference. I believe that God is orchestrating for us on the back end of a 21-day a sacred assembly. And I want to define for you what that is. A sacred assembly is a time where God's people confess and they repent of their sins there are times for a renewing of the covenant relationship with God, a returning to him in faithful love and obedience. There were times of worship, sacrifice, feasting, and fasting. I'm going to say it again. It was a time of worship, sacrifice, feasting, and fasting. And I believe for many of us in this room, God is calling us. The question is, will we answer the call? This isn't about how much food you eat or don't eat over 21 days. 
This is about how far will we go in our love and obedience to him and how much of him will we allow, how much of us will we allow him to have? So I want to break some things off of us today as we, as we head into these days. Because again, how many of you know how you respond matters? It matters. Not just, I'm not even talking about in a striving sense. Our idea of what it means for God to pursue us matters. And we're in a season where God is initiating with us. There are seasons where we initiate with God. Where we rend our hearts, we come before Him, godly sorrow. We, we pursue God, but there are seasons where God initiates with us, and this is a game changer. Because when we initiate with God, the reaching begins with us. But when God initiates with us, it should do something to our hearts. Say amen. There should be something in our hearts like, oh, what? That God up there wants me? Like he's wanting to dialogue and interact with me? I'm not talking about your assignment, what you're called to do, your five-fold office. I'm talking about that tender place in your heart that you have tried to fill with every other thing. It's been money, it's been being known, it's been social status, but that little thing, that little ache in your heart that he's actually wanting to grab a hold of and he's wanting to fill with all of himself. And I recognize that we are in a season where many people feel barren. By barren, I mean you have desire, you have longing, you have wanting. And God has spoken to you and you're holding fast to prophetic promise, meaning God has spoken things to you that have not yet come to pass. And in the midst of that, here we are saying, would you step in and believe God? But in the midst, in the midst hope deferred, discouragement, disappointment has set in. And during worship today, I just really felt Isaiah 54. In Isaiah 53, God prophesied through Isaiah about a, him sending a suffering servant. It's about our Messiah that would come. And it was speaking about the salvation of Israel, which we know we're grafted into that whole narrative now in the covenant. But then Isaiah 54, he says, sing out, O barren one. I want to read it to you. It is powerful. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into a loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the one who lives with her husband. I want you to get an imagery of God coming to a people who were barren. They were lacking. They had nothing. And in the midst of that, he says, sing out in song. And in the natural, it seems offensive. Why would he tell a barren, needy, desperate, disappointed people to sing out? Except we understand that there was power in the song. That the deliverance was on their tongue. That if they would engage with God and they would, despite the circumstance and what they saw, trust and believe in him. As a matter of fact, he says this, stretch out your tent pegs and make space. I know you can't see it. I know you haven't experienced it. But based on my words, enlarge your tent and believe me amidst not having what you have spoken to you. Do you hear what I'm saying? I believe as a people right now, God is like, I know you haven't fully seen what I've spoken to you. But I'm calling you to expand your territory. I'm calling you to stretch yourself out. And I'm calling you to sing a song you've never sung. Man, some of you, I want to tell you, you have lost your song. Last week when we were in this room, this is not a rebuke, this is an acknowledgement. We sang, come and behold him, and I felt in the room, we've lost our song. How can we sing about beholding the Lord and, and take it so lightly? 
But what I want to say to you is God, he is restoring our song. And the restoration of your song does not come by trying harder. The restoration of your song starts with an abiding life. It's why you've lost your song. Because you found your satisfaction and your love and your adoration and your ministry and all outside of the vine. But Jesus, he's, he's recentering us right now and he's initiating with us. He is the initiator. How many of you know God went to Abraham? How many of you know God met Moses in a burning bush? God went before them as a pillar of fire and a cloud. God met them on the mountain and gave them the blueprints, the tabernacle among them. God is the great initiator. Make no mistake, God wants to touch us more than we want to be touched by God. Do you hear me? But there's a positioning of our life and there's a blueprint that I want to get to. Let's, let's open up the Bible now to John 15. I want to walk us John 15. I want to try to get through 1 through 16. Hopefully we'll make it there. We may get through like verse 4. John 15, verse 1. I am the true, say true. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I want to read through all of it, actually, because I won't make it through. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will bear more fruit, even richer, finer fruit. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, I have given to you. Remain in me, verse 4, and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out and withered, and died, and gathered such branches, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, my message, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8, my Father is glorified and honored by this, when you bear much fruit, and prove yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9 should blow your mind. If you read through verse 9, you could just fast 21 days on verse 9. I have loved you, just as the Father has loved me. Stop. Let me read it again. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to all of us as a people, my love for you is the same kind of love that the Father has for me. My question for you is what kind of love does the Father have for the Son? Think about this. With what kind of intense passionate, desirous, zealous love, does the Father love the Son? Jesus is now standing in a room. This would have been one of the last things he said to his disciples. Man, John is writing John 15 probably at the end of his life. Imagine a 90-year-old man sitting down, recounting the story of when Jesus said to them, the way the Father loves me, I love you, and what that did to their hearts. John 15 is the great revelation that, the, that Jesus gave to the disciples. I no longer call you servants. You are now my friend. Think about that statement. They're like, what? This is our rabbi. He said, no, 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 I call you friend. So he says this, I have loved you just as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. Let's say it together. Remain in 
my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments and obey my teachings, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things, verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be where? In you. And that your joy may be made full, complete, and overflowing. So think about the players in the game. There's a vine. There's a vine dresser. There's branches and there's fruit. And what Jesus is describing to us is the way we are to be united to him is, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I want to confess before our spiritual family that many times in my life, I have tried to do things in my own strength. I start with God. I hear God's voice. I want to get it done. So I get my plan and I go and I do and it doesn't work out and I get mad at God. That has been Gio's pattern. But for many of us, what if over the next 21 days, 30 days, we were to slow down? We were to say, God, I don't only want you to hear you. I want to make my primary assignment staying connected to you. I don't, want to, I don't want to connect to you to do something for you. I want to be connected. I want to abide in you. I want to violently oppose and remove everything in my life that hinders connection to you. How many of you know that there are things in our lives that diminish our capacity to love God? It's not religion. It's not striving. It's not, it's not a religion. I'm saying there are things in Geo's life that may not be sin. It may not be darkness, but it diminishes Geo's ability to love God the way that Geo wants to love God. Because all of us at, at a core, we have a core longing to love God. But I want to make something clear. Your assignment on earth is not to love God. We sing a lot of, lots of songs, I was made for, I was made to love. The actual core thing you are built for is to be loved. I want to flip this for you because if the next 21 days is about you loving Jesus harder, it's not going to work for you. 1 John 4 says this, because God loved us, we love him. He says, perfect love casts out fear. And then the, the chapter defines God as love. God could have been defined as anything, as judge, as king, as Lord, as, uh, as king. Of, but God is love. Therefore, if God is love, if love is who he is, then I am loved perfectly. Do you hear this? What Tyler said last week, you can't brush over. You are as holy right now as you're ever going to be. You're not, it's not based on your righteousness and your pursuit of God that he's affirmed. He's affirmed in you because of Christ in you. It is his life. It's why he says, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's Christ's life in and through you. But listen, I want to say something to you. Everything in your life is opposing this love. The agenda of the enemy is not to get you in gross perversion or this or that. It's, it's to hinder you from loving him and furthermore receiving his love. It's beloved identity. It's understanding that you are loved by God in a way that nothing else on earth is. That you were created not just to love him, but to be loved by him. This is profound. That you would understand how loved you are by God. 
That the reason he asked you to abide and remain in him is not just so that you would hate your life and not get to do all the fun stuff, but that you would experience his love. Just abide in me. Remain connected to me. Stay in proximity. Don't stop the conversation. Keep the conversation going. Don't just talk to me when your life is in disarray. It's the saddest thing that I see in Christian life. People who only engage with God in any way when their life is disrupted. Think about how God's like, well, I guess the only way to get their attention is to allow terrible things to happen to them. It's the only time we talk. It's the only time we engage. But, but God has called us into a life. I want you to read it again because I wanted to baptize our heart. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in the vine. How many of you recognize that God, listen, the way that God deals with increase is he blesses you with pruning. This is God's way. I'm going to reward you for your increase. I'm going to prune you. The way, the way that God blesses those who are fruitful is he prunes you. So, so guess what? It's not a demon. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not everybody's against you. It's actually you've been faithful and you've stood and you've obeyed. And the byproduct, the consequence of your obedience is God says, oh, I love you so much. I'm going to prune you. And I'm going to prune you because you've been faithful, because you've been obedient, and because I love you, and because you've been asking me to be used in a greater way, I'm going to prune you. But I'm not punishing you. It's so that you can be more fruitful. It's so that I can use you in a greater way. But don't let your heart become offended with my pruning. I, I wish somebody would have told me this, because there have been times in my life where I felt like, God, what did I do wrong? God's like, you did nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, because you've done right, I'm reducing you. I'll never forget, I have shared this before, but I remember going to Africa, getting saved in 2008, going to Africa and feeling because God called us to Pemba, Mozambique, God must have an assignment for me in Africa. Spend all this money, over $15,000, we land on the Red Sox. God, what do you want to do? And God's like, I want, I want you to die. I'm like, no, surely not. No, really, he did not let go. It was 12 weeks of like, I'm reducing you. I, you know, I will show you my journal with ink and tears. God, and it wasn't because he was mad of what he did in my life from 2008 to 2013. He was reducing me and pruning me for this season that we're in now. It is God's leadership. I want to say it again. The way that God deals with people who are obedient is he puts them through the process of pruning. How many of you know a tree that is pruned does not look pretty? It's messy. It actually looked prettier before it got pruned. But in order for it to come into the full maturation of what is available for the tree, it must be cut back. Therefore, the response of a spiritually mature people, I want to say mature, I want to make that clear. A spiritually mature people is, I'm not going to allow my heart to become offended with God when I go through difficult seasons. I'm going to lead into community. I'm going to lead into God. And I'm going to choose to believe that he is working all things together for those who love him. That I am actually being formed into the image of Christ. I'm going to embrace the suck. 
I'm going to allow God to take me there. And I'm not going to resist. This is the great thing we're going to have to overcome over this next month is will you not resist God? It's a little voice. It's a little whisper. It's not loud. Nobody's making you do anything. But it's that little invitation. Man, I want to spend time with you. I've missed you. For many of us, we've lost relationships, we've lost money, we've lost things. It's not a demonic scheme of the enemy. It's God's way and answering the prayers you have prayed. Are you alive? I don't want to brush past this moment because there are many that have pushed back on the assignment because you, it wasn't even your fault. Nobody told you, nobody prepared you that actually God's love and mercy would strip things from you that opposed his love touching you in the way he wants to touch you. There have been times in my life where I have actually been more rooted in people than I've been in Christ. Where I have sought to be fulfilled by affirmation of man and this and that. And God strips all that because he wants to be only. God will be shared with none. I'm telling you, this is love. I mean, I don't, you know what? If, If I was somewhere and my wife was giving attention to another man, I would have issues. It would be very strange to me if I was like talking to Chucho and Shanna's talking to another dude, she's laughing, she's going, and Chucho's like, bro, you ain't worried about that? It's not about security, it's because love is jealous. It's not about insecurity, it's love, it, it wants all of the other person. And I'm telling you in this season, God is rooting us in understanding, hey, I want, I want all of you. And I actually want you to want all of me. And we don't get to choose Jesus on a buffet line. This is the part of Jesus I want. This is the part I don't want. But we get to understand that apart from him, we have nothing. It's all, listen, this is a plant that was up in my office. You know what's the beautiful thing about this plant? I don't have to do anything to it. My wife and I have assassinated so many plants. We bought this plant because it needs nothing. But you know what's also crazy about this plant? It will never produce fruit. I will never be able to walk up to the street. It looks nice. I mean, it looks, it's a little shiny, but, but it will never produce life. And because I've gotten lazy and I don't want to water that plant, I would just rather do that than actually have the real thing in my office. But guess what? The way of the kingdom is not like this. God it will not settle for plastic Christianity. It's like he's so done with that. I want to make it clear. He's so done with that. God is so done with you looking one way on the outside and feeling dead on the inside. And the reality is the fruit of that has produced this. It's not your pastor. It's not your leader. It's not because you weren't in the right small group. It's because you weren't attached to the right thing. Therefore, one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm mad at God. He's mean. It's like God had nothing to do with that. God's been trying to have a conversation with you for 30 years. And if we would allow him to, listen, 
the mercy of God in the season is he, he's giving us a whisper. I, wanna, uh, I just feel like some of you are going to hear it. It may be late at night in the morning during your lunch break, a whisper that I dare you not to ignore. That you would just tend to his heart because I really feel like, man, the, the Israel thing is sobering right now. I'm telling you, we are asleep. But if we were to recognize what's going on on a global scale, we would treat life a little different. We wouldn't be worried about the 2023 car or a little bit more square footage on a house. We would be aligning our lives around, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. Look at what's going on in the Middle East. Just because we're in America doesn't mean we're, we're bypassed or safe. I'm telling you, I have a burden for this. We have to wake up. There's no amount of money in your bank account that can save you from what's coming. There's no amount of 401k. Nothing. Do all that. But I want to root you in a person who loves you with all of his heart. It's crazy. It's not this tyrant that demands love. He is asking you, will you love me? I created you to love you. The mercy of God that he would corner us and say, I'm going to have all of you. You don't love him because he's called you to love him. You loved him because he loves you. What I'm saying to you is if you don't understand how loved you are, you will never be able to love him the way he's asking you to love him. It's <sighs> a lot to say. I'm talking about right now. Right now in this moment, the love of God for you is so much greater. That's why in Ephesians they would pray. I pray that I would understand the width, the height, the depth of what? Not of his miracle signs and wonders, of love. That I would understand how great, how vast, how wonderful. All of the Old Testament guys got it. All the guys you skip over because you think they're weird, they got it. That's why Moses would say, I don't want to know your ways. I want to know you. I don't just want to know your act. I want to know your ways. I don't want to know what your hand does. I want to know what moves you. This is why David would say, oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house. Why? Because your glory dwells there. That's why David would make a statement, better is one day here than a thousand anywhere else. How could David make his claim? Oh, I, this one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, that I may behold the beauty. What are they seeing that we're not? I feel it right here. John would put language to it and he would say, hey, that thing that David touched, that thing that Moses touched, I'm giving you the blueprint of how to get there. Abide in me. Stay in the conversation. Remain in my love. Let my words abide in you. Did you know that God's word is looking for a home? It's looking for a place to dwell. His word is looking for a place to dwell. He says to his disciples, you have already been cleaned by the words I have given you. Think about that. That the word of God would cleanse you. It would baptize you. It would renew you. It's not to get in a closet to find out more about your assignment to do more for God. God will resist you because his words are given to you in the context of loving leadership. It's all about love. It's all about a people that would be stabilized and understanding. I love that John called himself the beloved. Think about that, man. The guy who had the Revelation 4 and 5 encounter, who saw the heavens, he saw things that were incredible. It could have been John the Revelator, John, John the Beloved. I'm loved by God. 
Think about what would happen if we categorize our life. What if you define success like that? How do we define success? I'm loved by God. And God loves me. And I love him. And that's enough. It's enough for me. It's enough for him. What if, I feel like those are the main two questions that God is confronting us with in these days. Am I really enough for you? No, really. Like if God didn't do anything for you, which would never happen because he's always working. But, but if God didn't do anything else for you, would he still have all of your love? Think about how offensive the story of Job is, that he loses everything and his heart remains steady on God. That if God stripped away and he allowed us to enter into his suffering, which we don't talk about, but we've been talking a lot about as a staff actually. A people who actually engage with God, not just when it's prophecies, miracles, and open heavens, but we actually engage with his heart in all ways. You know what's been rocking me? Tyler bought a Bible about the early church fathers. It has commentary about the early church fathers, which is incredible. It would be the first, what, 300 years of the early church and commentary. It would strike you silly, whatever that means. to read how vastly different those guys saw the gospel than we see it. Think about 300 years post-Christ, the way they viewed Christianity and they engaged with God and they saw Yeshua, Messiah, God, Yahweh is so vastly different than how we, how we communicate him and how we engage with him today. Many of those guys would have considered it an honor to die for Christ. We're saying, God, anything but. Many of them understood that the main priority in life was not to see how much I can get from God, but to live the Beatitudes. That the high point in life was not how many followers I have, how much influence I have, how much money I have, but how well am I living my life according to the constitution of the kingdom. Blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. They lived their life with this sobriety that Jesus could return at any time. And nowadays it's like, bro, it's, it's, eight, it's 1148. Are you landing the plane? No, really. Like the selling point for how to build, I had a friend the other day, he talked to me in tears. He said, all of my mentors have rebuked me. And they said to me, what you're doing is not working. Go back to the model. Build a 70-minute 70-minute service. Build around your strength, and it'll be built. And I told him, it will be built, but you aren't building a church that way. It's just not the way God builds. The way God builds is he, he, he plants himself in the middle of a community, and he calls everyone unto himself. We don't build on human strength. We don't build on personality. We don't build on egos. We build upon the rock. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is not just Geo telling you how we built Abide. This is how you should be building your life. That we build upon the foundation of Christ. We abide in him and we understand he abides in us. That we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit and he has called us to love him. He is going to prune us and he's going to produce fruit. And after the fruit comes... He's going to prune us again. 
And we may be, I mean, I just went outside and I pulled this branch out. Actually, Kenny did. It's a beautiful branch. The truth about this branch is if you come back a week from now and I leave it on the stage, this branch will be dead. Why? Because we've just pulled this branch off of its life source. I can't go back outside and reattach it to a tree. I can't duct tape it. Some people in Callahan would say different. Y'all don't even know Callahan. They do. <laughs> they got good barbecue. But this is how most Christians live their life. I'm going to go to church today. I wonder what Gio has to say so that my soul could be sustained. Nothing. That's what the Bible says. The Bible makes it clear that apart from him, you could have nothing, so I have nothing to give you. The best thing I can give you is an acknowledgement that I have nothing to give you, and only he can give you all that you need. It's the best thing I can give you. An awareness of my barrenness to give you anything that you actually need, and to point you to the only one that can give you all that you need, and to beckon you to respond to the whisper, to ask you to give yourself fully to him, and to understand that if you make your life in very simple terms, if you would simplify your life to this, I'm going to work really hard to not fall out of connection with him. This is going to funnel all of my life. The music I listen to, the, the shows I watch, the way I talk to my wife. Do you know that you can grieve the spirit by the way you talk to your wife? Did you know? Like there are things we can do to grieve the Holy Spirit. But that we would actually, it got really quiet. Do we need to call it repentance? <laughs> Dang. Gosh. But that we would be aware, God, I'm going to actually remove everything in my life that diminishes loving you. And as I do that, guess what? I'm going to make space because there's a lot of space that's occupied by things that aren't important. But as I, as I remove all of those things, now I have space in my heart to receive his word. And guess what his word's going to do over my life? It's going to baptize me in his love. I'm going to understand that I'm accepted, that I'm loved, that he cares, that he sees me, that he's present, that he's available. And every season, high and low, his word is going to baptize me in love. If we read about his word and we make it about an assignment, we have diminished that. His word remaining in you is to stabilize you in love. That's why he says, let my word abide in you, abide in my love. But then he, he gives us the answer of how we abide in love. How do we abide in love? You abide in love. Let's read it. You want to go there? If you keep, verse 10, if you keep my commandments and obey my teachings, you will what? Remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and remained in his love. I have told you these things. I want you to see. All of this, verse 1 through 10, is all unto verse 11. My wife got out of the car this morning. As soon as we got out of the car, and she gets out of the van, she's like, oh my gosh, I feel anxious right now. Now, like, we don't deal with a lot of anxiety. I'm not going to say we've never. Everybody in this age has dealt with some form of anxiety. If you go to Disney, you deal with anxiety everywhere. <laughs> My favorite part of going to Disney is listening to a dad saying, if you don't shut up, we're leaving. I'm like, no, you're not. You paid $1,000 to be here. You ain't going nowhere, bro. <laughs> Empty threats. You ain't going nowhere. 
she gets out of the car and she goes, I'm anxious right now. I don't know why. We have nothing to be anxious about. And I feel like the nature of life is it just creates this hum, this anxiety, this like we don't even know where it's coming from, but we just feel unsettled. And I want you to understand that verse 1 through 10 is given to you so that you may experience verse 11. God is giving you intimate access to him to remain, and he's promised to remain in you. And as he remains in you, he's going to reveal his word to you, which according to what happened to the disciples, it's going to clean them. And after they're clean, he's going to shower them with love and say, stay in this place. Don't fall out of this place of me showering my love upon you. But he says this, I have told you these things so that my joy, say his joy, his joy and delight may be in you. And that your joy may be made full, complete, and overflowing. So not only is he inviting us into intimate relationship because it's the best thing for us and because it helps us, but he's doing it so that our joy may be complete and we may overflow with him. Now, how many of you can say you've had overflowing joy besides Curtis? If you've been in the prayer room with Curtis, you get it. Like, I want some of that. Couple, I don't know if I've shared this in here, but a couple of months ago, I was coming out of a meeting. I was going to the bathroom, and Curtis was in the prayer room when it was in here. I'm just going to the bathroom, going, I'm like thinking about all the things. He comes up, he goes, brother. I'm like, oh my gosh. Just wide eyes. He puts his finger in my chest, he goes, God lives in you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck was I just talking about for three hours? Just felt like nothing else mattered. He lives in you, brother. I'm like, I got to get next to this guy. Again, it's not about Curtis. Curtis would say it's not about, it's about the awareness that we get caught up with so many things that just, they're, they're, they are insignificant. They're without significance. Yet think about how much of our time is occupied over things that actually drain us and they compete with God's love being showered upon us. I was driving on the road this week and God's like, hey, listen, man, the, the cure for anxiety is actually thankfulness. That's why Paul would say, be anxious for nothing but in everything with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. He says, bring me everything, right? Bring all of it. But with thanksgiving, let it lead the way because thanksgiving, it baptizes us to be able to see the way that things really are. When Alan was here on Wednesday night, he talked about the season they walked through where the prophet, the man of God said, keep weeping because what, what the tears does is it, it washes the witchcraft off your eyes. I don't want us to get caught up in witchcraft, but here's what he said. Keep weeping and stay thankful because what the enemy's trying to do is rob you of the fruit of the last season and stop you of having a hope for any future. This is the main assignment of the enemy, that you would look back at your life and say, did I really even do anything with my life? And that that would come, cause you to come to the conclusion, therefore, I have no future. My life is going nowhere. But I came today at 11.57 to let you know that you are loved by God. And if that's just a statement that has grown dull in your heart, we need God's help. When I was at Jesus Image, uh, we were at a, our conference there with the staff. 
and all of our staff um, was tired. It was a long couple days, you know, like they go hard. And uh, we were on an Airbnb, and we were at the Airbnb, and everybody was going back, and they were making the decision on um, do we stay, do we go? And I felt this little voice that was like, would you just stay a little longer? And I was in this weird place because everything in my heart was saying, a good leader stays with the team. Everybody's going back. I'm the leader of the team. What does it look like for me to be disconnected from the group? Yet still, there was a small voice that was saying, will you just stay a little longer? We went to the service that night. Michael Culliano spoke. Benny Hinn got up, rebuked everybody. It was awesome. <laughs> Point was, nothing spectacular happened except I stayed. except God asked me to do something and there was a small whisper and I obeyed it. And the point is, is that enough? I could have left that night going, bro, if I'm going to show up to the meeting, I better at least get some tiggly wigglies. I better at least get some kind of like, no. He invites, we respond, we obey, that's enough. Because according to John 15, obedience is the way we love. I'll say it this way. There is a realm of abiding and knowing God that is only available in the context of obedience. We're like, oh, it's religion. We're talking about law and doing again. No, we're talking about Jesus speaking and us obeying and him trusting us because we follow his voice. My sheep know my voice and another voice they do not what? Follow. They don't follow. And if I'm being honest, over the last few years of my life, I got saved in 2008 as a drug addict kid. I've seen a lot of people following lots of voices. It's not all their fault because we've built churches around people and personalities and we're enamored by anointings and giftings and all that. But in this season, Jesus is saying, I am going to be only. Mark my words. I'm removing everything else that hinders first love. And he's making us aware of the great price that was paid. It was a great price paid for you to be sitting in this room to be loved by God. It was the highest price. And how we understand what was paid for changes the way. Listen, how you understand the price that was paid, it changes the way you relate to something. It changes the value that's ascribed to it. So what I'm praying for us this morning is that God would open up our eyes to the price that was paid so that we can abide in him. You're not working to be loved by God. You are loved by God. You're not going to be you are. I need, I need you to understand that. You're, you're not working to be something. You are something. What we're praying right now is for you to have a recognition of what you are. What God has done in you and for you and what he wants to release through you. So I want to pray for us just a moment.